0: Once you get to La Brea, north of Santa Monica, then it's jammed.
1: The 110 north of the 10, you get people driving to Pasadena, and they drive slow.
0: Yeah, they do, but what
2: I do is I get off on Grand, and then I, uh... Hey, surface road is what you want, that's what we'll do.
1: Are we taking bets? Are we? And what if you're wrong?
0: I don't think I would be wrong, but if I am, rise free okay you
1: got yourself a date
2: and the audience will never know what you were just talking about a random thought Malcolm prefaced (laughs) it with random thought (laughs) and then I said that was funny
0: yeah, that's I am sure the listeners would be they're chomping on the bit to hear the sick anecdote. I, I believe just believe the
2: phrase is champing at the bit.
0: Champing at the bit. I they're it was fin- chomping. It's not chomping
2: on the bit.
0: It, it's chomping on the bit, I'm pretty sure.
2: Yeah, you're chomping on my bit. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm not
0: I'm not There's doing, not a I'm whole not... lot to chomp on, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it keeps getting stuck in my teeth. <laughs>
2: Um, but yeah, no, you know, it's Merriam-Webster defines
0: champing at the bit as waiting in chimpin' at the bit.
1: <laughs>
0: well, you know, I mean, you know, as a lot of the great artists did, I, I speak my own language. So... <laughs> you know
2: now i've just come upon a flurry of internet results that uh, apparently this is a thing so i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna indulge you know other i guess this is well-worn territory there's already a
0: buzzfeed article about it champing v
1: chomping yeah it's
2: yeah, and I'm sure someone else has made some sort of joke about you can champ my bits if you want to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I, think I think we were, were the first. first on that one. <laughs> I think you bringing that up was not good, but us kind of going to, <laughs> like, it's your bits, the penis, <laughs> and we're taking a little bite. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I, think, I think that was funny, but... Um, Collateral. I'm just champing at the bit
2: to start talking about Michael Mann on this podcast. I I don't think.
0: I'm sorry, but I don't think I've ever said champing on the bit in like my entire life. Uh, Well, I like
1: I said. Why would you be
2: chomping on a bit? I I, I think it's still
1: at the bit, right? Either champing or chomping. At at, not on. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, whatever. So as I was saying (laughs) earlier.
2: I'm just champing at the bit to start talking about Michael Mann on this podcast, this new podcast that we're starting, Extended yeah. Clip, where we talk about filmmakers like Michael Mann. You mm-hmm. we were recording this in July of 2019. True. <laughs> uh, we have a beautiful president in office, and nobody has ever talked about a Michael Mann film online before
0: exactly (laughs) well you know we were talking about the toxic man bros earlier all the toxic man bros all those man lovers and uh it used it used to be uh you know back in the day it used to be an organic thing um no i don't know where i'm going with this to be honest
2: this isn't one of those podcasts
0: (laughs) what does that mean i don't know what that means
1: but uh i
2: don't know what you and your friends do on some other podcast (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) that's not the extended
0: clip ethos um, Michael Mann. Uh, when was he born? <laughs> <laughs> Are, you Are you just a, expecting me just to have some facts? Pull that up, the Jamie. Yeah. Is he married?
2: <laughs> uh, I, you know, he's only four years uh younger than my grandma, which is kind of crazy to consider. He's born on February fifth, nineteen forty-three. Oh shit! He's a
0: geezer. He's an old fucking man, but he keeps it fresh. <laughs> Well, that's old guys keeping it fresh. Is, he is kind married. of the name
1: of the game here for this podcast. Absolutely, Summer Man since 1974. Summer Man. What's, wow, that's, that's sweet.
0: Nice. You know, I, th- that's <laughs> that's just that's just good. That I, I'm glad that he's found love in his life. Yeah, I bet you would love a
2: Summer Man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, our, right, our, right, our, right. let's, yeah, what's what's collateral? When was yeah. that released?
0: 2004?
2: 1943? Oh, no, 2004. Okay. Uh, no, I, I think Michael Mann being an old man that keeps it fresh is a good entryway into talking about his movies, though, because this is someone who is always keeping up, not just studying history, but also keeping up on the times. Mm-hmm. And I think both of those things really inform his. His films, He's always keeping up specifically, I would say, on technology and kind of as it relates to the crimes that you see in movies and television. Uh, no matter what movie you look at, other than like Ollie, I guess, uh, the, there's always some kind of cutting edge technology going on, whether it's the, the cell phones in this movie or the, the weird, you know, uh, tablet that Cruz has in this movie or some of the some of the screens on screen in Miami Vice uh even dating back to his older movies you know and uh it's the fetishization of so many aspects that create crime cinema uh that is the crime films of michael Mann, and i think fetishization on specifics is also a great entryway to talk about the two characters that come up with this movie um that comprise this movie? Yeah, I would say that. A
0: chomp on the bit of this movie? Absolutely.
2: I'm just champing up the bit to talk about... Uh, last name collateral, first name Vincent. Uh, it's not in the actual movie, but you see it in an early draft of the movie of the screenplay, and I think there's a deleted scene where you can kind of confirm it, but nowhere listed. But I, the Tom Cruise's last name in the movie is Collateral. He is Vincent Collateral, which I think is just that rules. great. Uh, But you also, the the proper protagonist of the movie is Jamie Foxx's Max, this cab driver who also has a very specific way of doing things in his life, you know. He is almost like a reluctant man hero. Both of these guys are. Both of these guys, like Howard Hawks, like we just talked about on the main feed, Uh, I guess if you're listening to these in order, you'll hear that on the main feed in a few days. Um, Like Howard Hawks, he... His biggest obsession of all is professionalism within this milieu, whether it's heat and you're kind of balancing the professionalism of the cop versus the professional of professionalism of the criminal, or this, where you have Jamie Foxx, who's like reluctantly a professional cab driver, you know? It's just temporary to him. He wants to get his luxury limousine line going, and he wants to buy his Mercedes, Uh but he just happens to be just an adamant professional who is so efficient and knows, uh, you know, the streets of Los Angeles like the back of his hands. Because Michael Mann can't help but infuse that into these characters. And of course, you can't even say enough about the professionalism of Vincent <laughs> Collateral. I mean, his one of his very last lines in the movie before the final shootout is, "Max, I do this for a living." <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, oh my God. If anything sums up this movie or any of Michael Mann's, it's that. Or when, uh, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith in the opening flirtation with Max asks him, do you take pride in what you do? You know, like, (laughs) much like how we talked about Rio Bravo, this feels like this hits on all of the classic notes of the auteur at hand.
1: I uh, still have quite a few men left to uh, work my way through. Um, (laughs) And I would say you've
0: had enough. <laughs> yeah. you're already a t- pretty run through.
1: That's the, the last, last that's man. That's the last one. It's the last Homo-ironic one. homo on this, but it just brings I, it, it no, out.
0: I think the term's homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're calling <laughs> us in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Scooters, you can be both. Well, I just, no, I just want to make it clear I'm not doing, doing any gay shit. <laughs> <laughs> Great.
2: Okay. Let's, let's keep it moving here. Yeah, no, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> insane and just i I don't know it's fun to see him in this mode where he's like really leaning into digital like experimentation Mm -hmm. like i coming into this as someone who hasn't seen black hat and is trying to like save that for probably the last like man film that i do i just want to get that evolution and it's like it's I, i think continually one of the most depressing things to me about digital cinema is that there aren't a uh, heavy amount of uh, big players who are uh, trying to see what new avenues you can explore with digital and i think man is someone who like because of what you're saying eddie about his inherent like interest in technology and like machines and professionalism and business i think there's a aspect of that that applies to like the aesthetic fetishizer fetishization of like digital cameras Mm -hmm. and it's fun to see him uh i don't know to see my first uh digital man
0: he he kind of steps up to the plate in that this regard too because like with like digital because like wasn't it only like george lucas and i guess like godard who's in a completely different like (laughs) filmmaking realm than michael mann in terms of like how his movies get made. like He was one of the first you know major directors to use digital yeah. like that, right? I mean,
2: this was the first yeah. film shot on this specific camera, which then got used a lot by other guys, the, this Viper Stream cam or whatever it's mm-hmm. called. It's a very early HD cam, uh, not the one Lucas used, which also got a lot of play from other early 2000s filmmakers. Uh, even, um, what's his name? Oh, man, I'm going to forget the filmmaker's name, but the guy who directed All About Lily Shushu. Do you know that movie? I know. Japanese movie. It's by uh, Shunji Iwai, and he also uses that same, like I think it's like Sony FNW 900, some bullshit like that, but that and uh, Bubble by Soderbergh, but then this one, you get the camera that... uh, I think leans a lot more into the expressiveness of those low light nighttime shots, you know, uh, who also used this camera was uh, Fincher for Zodiac. This one that man uses for collateral. And I, I think there's just so much experimentation in this film with the new, uh, images that you can create with digital you know it, it's a transition for him because the film before this was Ali which had some digital stuff in it you know during the fights there's some digital stuff and there's that jogging scene that's shot digitally but the rest is 35 and then in this you just have the one nightclub sequence that's shot on 35 millimeter and the rest is digital and then from here on out it's all digital all the way you know but you know he doesn't tread lightly into this as a transition film from the first image image you just have this like super zoomed in like telephoto lens almost type shot of Tom Cruise in the airport and it's just so noisy with like digital textures and stuff like that it's, uh, it's quite a statement as he enters and like uh, Cruz's entrance is just so weird you have this like otherworldly w- completely whited out fluorescent lighting uh, that you'll see again later in the film but especially in his entrance it's really like incredible that the scene where he uh, gets the handoff from Jason Statham uh, <laughs> yeah, in a surprise was. Statham performance mm-hmm. uh, I, I really love the way that he kind of sets the tone between that and then uh, the the two little scenes of him in the airport Surround Jamie Fox driving around Jada Pinkett Smith for that opening flirtation and the the game of you know who knows the better route. Of course, the cab driver, who's a solid professional, knows the better route to take. But you know all of that just like establishes both the character of Jamie Foxx as Max. Uh, It establishes the location as you have all these huge exterior shots of the highways and the buildings of Los Angeles, the freeways, I should say. Uh, And also it establishes the aesthetic mode that this film is going to take place in. And I think that opening, you know, 10 or 11 minutes is just like some of the best tone setting in man's filmography.
0: Yeah, and like, I think what's also fun about this movie just from like character standpoint is like yeah you have these very two very opposing characters and they they get very two different like intros where there's a lot spent on like jamie fox and like you could say like oh yeah he's looking at a picture of an island you know what i mean this isn't where he wants to be you know he's kind of just doing this until his sick limo business where he's driving around all the top celebs
1: uh, gets off the ground. Yeah, scrolling on Instagram through male soul pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, back in
2: the day, you used to have to print out where you <laughs> wanted to be.
1: Dude, you used to have to
0: make your own motivation back in the day. Or, his you know,
2: motivation is so sick because he yeah. has that classic picture of the island, which he calls to Jada Pinkett Smith, his vacation that he takes You know, t- 10, 12 times a day, yeah. uh, which I think is great, but also he has his... I think it's like a catalog from Mercedes Benz. That like, while Tom Cruise is making the first hit, he's eating a sandwich and reading like the 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 sales catalog, I guess, for Mercedes, or maybe it's even an owner's manual or something. It's kind of vague, but uh, I I love how just basic his aspirations are, and how the exposition is laid out so like plainly. Kind of this guy Stuart Beatty, who wrote the uh wrote the screenplay, is like. I don't know, it just feels very commercial at its core and like it hits all of its beats and everything like Mm -hmm. that but then of course with Michael Mann as the director you're gonna get all of these rewrites from him where he makes the dialogue so much more idiosyncratic I mean this is the most some of the most Michael Mann ass dialogue you'll hear in any of his movies like there's so many lines in this that are just like oh that's Michael Mann talking about his own filmmaking ethos you know (laughs) well
0: that's, that's what's like great about you know this odd couple we've got here fox you know someone who's yeah i'm looking at the ben's catalog i got my island you know what i mean this is whatever what what i'm doing is not actually me like what's me is like you know the future or what i aspire to be whereas tom cruise has like kind of grounded himself into you know being a very bad person but has like a lot of like these philosophical, you know, kind of reasons like, you know, there's 10,000 kids getting killed in Rwanda, you know, every day. Did you feel bad about them? No. You know, why this one? Why this know, one fat, fat
2: slob? Yeah, this fat slob. <laughs> I love how he yeah. leans into it like yeah. it's uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven, the way he talks <laughs> about like how his victims deserved it. That's like Tom Cruise in this movie to say, oh, and you care about one fat
0: guy. <laughs> no, yeah, it is like Tom Cruise has like figured out a way to where he has like... A moral thread to like you know stand upon to where it's like i kill people for a living and they deserve it and it doesn't matter because like cruz is very assured of what he's doing and fox is just in like you know la la land you know so to speak and it's like for cruz to kind of give him that reality dose or whatever you know say it's, like, hey, it's time to man up you know max you know as the movie progresses you know uh max's character kind of you know gives him a taste of his own medicine in a sense or whatever it's just uh like you said it is like a very commercial screenplay but i think it just fits well you know man does the rewrites of course but it also just fits well of the framework of man's strengths like you know what i mean it's like it's maybe it's not like the you know uh, it's not going to get a Peabody award for best screenplay or whatever, but it's like, this is perfectly geared for uh, what man's strengths are. Yeah.
1: It hits at like core elemental things. And just like, I love the dynamic so much of like Cruz is like otherworldly in just how impressive calculating and evil he is. And just like comparing that with Fox is like a more grounded, just poor working person. Who you, you sort of get Cruz like being able to pull him along a little bit, like take him into a, a bunch of different avenues he wouldn't have gone. See, really bring out his character.
2: You know, uh, with Michael Mann, it's never just, it never ends with just being good at your job simply because. Uh, he he he's more deep thinker than that. He he's more of a a labor issues kind of guy, you know. Uh, like that classic line and thief. Like I I see the money, I see my money in your pocket, which is a yield of my labor. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> he, he's always throwing shit like that into the movie. And here you have Cruz using the tactic of basically acting as his labor representative, <laughs> as, as Jamie Foxx's labor representative, because this taxicab gig. Doesn't give him enough benefits to justify, uh, calling in what's going on and not picking up. You know, Tom Cruise for this night of killings that he has to do for five hundred dollars plus the meter or whatever. Uh, and you know, later on, Cruise even gets on the walkie-talkie and talks to Jamie Foxx's boss and pretends to be like a DA or something like that, kind of furthering this whole like, uh, you know, his at uh, being his labor representative type thing. And uh, I don't know. I feel like it really hits home. Like the ethos of this movie isn't in the very plotty and commercial script. It's in the way that man sets it in Los Angeles, the way he uses the geography and then through his rewrites and the way he shoots it and the way he directs the performances, all of his classic themes
0: just bursting through at the seams. To speak to the visual style here, like I guess one thing with man, like he's just so visually in tune that like, I don't know, every, every shot kind of has like something interesting going on, whether it's like a movement or whatever, there's a lot of, you know, an insert's not going to just be a plain insert. You know, it's, there's going to be some, some rich detail, especially with like kind of the textures he's picking up with, you know, the HD camera we got going here, but it's like, I, you know, I think his great, uh, skill in this one is like kind of, you know, going down to the intimacy of like a car and like the things you see, you know, surrounding your car, rear view mirrors, Getting like a little bit of diffusion through like the taxi plastic through the thing or whatever. And then he goes grand. He goes really big like with those helicopter shots. Some of the best geographical shooting like I could really think of are some of those helicopter shots and like how they kind of just move and like display like this very like busy part of los angeles is just uh i don't know it it, it, it results in some very poetic moments you yeah. know i it, love like montage.
2: an hour and 15 minutes into the movie where you get your fourth or fifth one of those helicopter shots that's like directly you know god's eye view and then you get a reverse shot and it is the helicopter because now the police helicopters are involved in the crime and i don't know just that reverse of going from that kind of familiar god's eye angle to being like oh now that is in play you know yeah. th- this <laughs> territory is now in play as well as what was on the ground. Uh, speaking of things that come into play. After the first kill, and after Jamie Fox reluctantly a- agrees to the hero's journey to accompany the antagonist mm. Tom Cruise on this night of killings, uh, our, our, I guess the real antagonist, the cop, shows up. Uh, Mark Ruffalo gets like a super epic uh, hard rock intro, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> skidding through in his two his two door car, his very like basic sporty coupe that he drives. Uh, car nerds will know the model uh but he pulls up with his like i don't know honestly the first two times i thought the first two times i saw this movie i thought mark ruffalo was doing brown face like i thought his character <laughs> i thought it was like a charlton heston in touch of evil thing he's, just he's supposed a cool to guy. be like yeah. Mexican. but he is just a a very tan los angeles <laughs> uh police detective named ray fanning once you get the last name yeah name ray fanning you're like okay so he's just He's just kind of like acclimating himself because, you know, he's like the the guy who got killed was his informant, I guess. Uh, And, you know, it it seems that he kind of works that beat uh, as a police detective and maybe he does a little... uh, uh, what, what, code switching. That's what that's the word. <laughs> yeah. he does a little code switching here and there. Well, but, uh, yeah. I I love this introduction to him because it's very brief. But then when you cut back to the main couple, and then you cut back to him later, he reveals uh, how he came into being a part of this crime. You know, with his informant being involved, and you know, you get all this you know police jargon and whatnot, and it's convincing enough to think, oh. There is a full blown police procedural on the other end of this where you don't see as much Cruz and Fox. But yeah. we're living on the dangerous side of things in this movie.
0: No, it is like the like Ruffalo in like kind of like the first two thirds is given, you know, a fair amount of do, you know, we get to see him kind of connect dots or whatever. And he even gets like uh the Peter Bird character who's the lazy cop or whatever, who like just doesn't want to work his hard, you know, would rather let the feds overtake the case where it's like ruffalo's like i think we might know something that they might not know and it is like it it, it's a it's an interesting uh you know character you know in terms of like ruffalo i don't know i guess i nowadays you know you kind of associate ruffalo with marvel i was like i guess he was in what the kids are all right you know what i mean i can't really think of his big roles a couple years after this he's in zodiac true by the same cameras that is true i'll give him that so it is it is like I don't know. It's just interesting to see Ruffalo in like a different context. And then the way it's kind of like where how, where's character ends up, I think, is also a great little, I don't know, thing that man throws in there that, uh, uh, I don't know, it, it's great. He
2: also plays a cop in the 2003 film In the Cut, the Jane Campion movie uh, with like Meg Ryan and Jennifer Jason Lee. That movie looks awesome. Everyone says yeah. it. And it's also shot by Dion Beebe, much like this oh. movie. Dion mm. Beebe, though, took over this movie. There's two DPs credited. The first one quit within the first week of principal photography over disputes with Michael Mann. That's how you know a director's getting his vision. Yeah. <laughs> fire c- uh, cinematographers. Uh, but. After Ruffalo's epic introduction, we then get a one-two punch of, you know, to throw it back to the very first episode of this podcast when we talked about story structure and Blake Snyder, and we introduced the concept of fun and games to our listeners. We get some first, uh, or great post-first act break fun and games in this movie. Uh, First, you have uh, the Yo, Homie, Is That My Briefcase scene, which is just,
1: Yo, Homie.
0: that my briefcase?
2: Incredible. You know, after he's already agreed to go along with this, Jane Fox tries to escape, gets, you know, uh, mugged by some prison Nazis, it seems like, uh, who then get gunned down. And the next scene between them is when they pull off to the gas station and he asks him plainly, Hey, do you like jazz? <laughs> <laughs> I actually believe the quote is,
1: Hey, new news. We're ahead of schedule like jazz sorry what jazz like jazz
0: not that much no there's like a like that stretch of the movie you're kind of describing it is like it was like three nightclubs in a row that they go to or something it is it's a really is like kind of the you know a lot of fun and games to be had but it is like i think man's got a reputation you know through like you know Miami Vice and you know others like you know a good club scene director where it's like he's really unloading the clip here you know it's just like
2: yeah I feel like the middle hour of this movie is just an escalation of
0: intensity from one nightclub to the next exactly yeah so um you know Michael Mann you know knows a little something about the nightlife
1: you know it's nice to see how he plays like I don't know male relationships in general in his movies are very interesting but this one in particular because I think it like I don't know. Has that quality where it like shifts a whole lot throughout. I think those early segments in the clubs are so fun because you're like, you're figuring out the dynamic. Obviously, like uh, Fox is there like coercively and like Cruz has the power. But it's just like, oh, just how fucked up is this guy? What kind (laughs) of antics are they going to get into?
2: I love the big shift in the film coming in that second nightclub sequence. So the first one is the jazz club where you get the jazz trivia uh, that leads to one of the hits. And the second one uh, is after Jamie Foxx had tossed uh, Tom Cruise's briefcase. And so to retrieve it from his boss, Tom Cruise has Jamie Foxx go in as him. And in this identity swapping set piece at this uh, Latin American bar that seems to be in this or not bar like a nightclub, but seems to be like in the South Bay kind of like it when they're driving along, you see like the lights and the fog and the steam from the factories that are uh, further south out uh, from Los Angeles. And it really does express explore the sprawl of the the greater LA area for the most part but regardless uh so in, in that one Jamie Foxx forced to be Vincent collateral himself uh really turns on a dime there when he tells the security guard of Javier Bardem's uh kingpin character to put away his gun or he'll beat his bitch ass to death with it after being a very shy and meek character for the first hour of the movie uh but then in the third one when they come back it escalates further and how can you escalate the intensity any further? You just get like five guys with thirty five millimeter cameras in there for the third for the third <laughs> nightclub and you completely change the visual texture of the movie and it's all shot in these like super fast lenses, I guess, and the the way that, like, the silhouetted bodies move looks so surreal and Mm -hmm. there's just this, like, bluish silver, like, hue to the whole sequence and the, the gunshots are just so fucking loud and it's just one of the most, like, chaotic things ever. And, you know, for someone who pays so much attention to individual images it's crazy how this scene feels like just the biggest chaos in terms of staging ever. And you just have like five cameras run and gunning and it all just kind of comes together in the edit perfectly.
0: He really, you know, if this is the, you know, the sequence he's going to, you know, switch up the format with, he really kind of makes it worthwhile in a sense to where like the, 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 there, there's such a dense feeling to this club scene. Cause it's so, it's so packed. There's so many people there. You see like so many extras and then like yeah like like the gunshots being so loud and like kind of this already noisy environment and it, it, it is like kind of a like a man kind of i don't know just winding up like everything up for like this whole one sequence and it, yeah like like you said it, it, a lot of it is like probably figured out and edit but it's just like the confusion of being in like a club environment or you know maybe a concert environment is somewhat similar to where it's just like you have the troubles of like, it's so packed and you're trying to navigate that space and how that, like that feeling is kind of, you know, implemented in the visual style I think is in you know, great, you know, it's like, it's already fucking sucks, you know, trying to maneuver around that place already, but now it's fucking gunshots firing off and you have to leave. You know what I mean? Just seeing like the mass uh, amount of people just going through that is a, it's it's a big, it's a big, like it's a big juicy part I I don't know. It's like it's a big slab of meat of a scene, so to speak. Yeah, and mm.
2: Cruz's escape from the nightclub once the shit is hitting the fan is just so insane. The amount of people he has to take down and the, the dynamic camera angles of it, you know, constantly switching between these high and low levels and angles and there's bodies hitting the floor and cameras like kind of like going along with them and then tilting up and there's so many crazy moves like that. Like later on when, uh, or I guess it's slightly before this, when they visit Max's mom at the hospital, The the exposition for that like the uh the shot that sets up the hospital is just a body being carried a bloody body being carried away on a gurney or whatever and then it just pans up to the two main characters walking through a hospital hallway you know (laughs) like the intensity and the immediacy is there for all of these and of course uh you have the famous audio slave coyotes scene, which is like kind of how we talked about with Rio Bravo, that like meditation and kind of like contemplation and bonding before a big action scene. That scene uh, happens on the way to the nightclub where they see the coyotes and just kind of stop for a minute in the street, make eye contact. And then the audio slave kicks in. It's one of my
0: favorite scenes in any movie ever. Like I, and like I just love how like you know Tom Cruise looks like somber in that scene when he doesn't really for the rest of the movie like like I don't know there's like a real like contemplative tone they're taking they're like damn we don't got not do Just the fact that like they kind of share that you know they're both coming from completely different places but they share this moment of just like being humbled by nature you know and all of this like you know this uh fucking city bustle you know going to the club and i gotta oh if i take this street i'll be there in five minutes earlier instead of you know it's like oh shit that's a coyote you know what i mean like that kind of just disrupts kind of like this you know urban reality that they've been like zipping through and uh yeah, I don't. I, it's uh.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah. In like the movie, you're confronted with like a flurry of beautiful images, but then you just have this one moment that, like, I don't know, gives you a different kind of beauty. That's a lot more like I don't know, just slow and like sitting, like yeah, uh, sitting with these characters and those and unsettling feelings.
0: And like the sequencing of images, like the montage that comes with that. Like you just see the palm trees whistling in the wind and stuff like that. It's uh. It's a. It's and you a great also get moment.
2: the shot of the cops approaching the club too. You yeah. know, it's like it's meditative for all of them. They all know shit. True. About to yeah. Rough <laughs> You know, he doesn't know his life's about to end, but he might as well know it. He looks pretty doomed, and it, it's crazy how yeah. On the other end of that, like how Jamie Foxx says, you know, you didn't have to kill him. He probably has a wife and kids. He has a family to take care of. It's like you you can just imagine the whole plot behind. You know, uh, Mark Ruffalo's character, the three hour movie of this from his perspective. <laughs> and uh, it, I just feel like man is man is really great at filling in all of those details, like in Heat with Val Kilmer. You know, all all these mm-hmm. like third or fourth or fifth build characters feel like they have whole movies surrounding them that we don't see as well.
0: No, yeah, that's. I think that's always been. A sh- I mean, I think like kind of like the haphazard romance in this is, is also yeah. sweet. To, that's always like. His like uh, movies, you know. His, you know, he makes action movies, genre movies for the most part, and like he kind of pays attentions to aspects those movies usually ignore. Like, you know, some. I mean, I guess like Miami Vice is maybe where like the romance is switched up like the most, but it's seen throughout in his other movies, and like there'll just be like certain scenes and sequences that benefit, you know, so greatly just through kind of like these. Uh, instincts that he has that others might not uh, pursue because you know they might be get a little lazy or something you know <laughs> what I mean but he's he's putting in that work
2: and so the the romance is wrapped back around into the crime plot as uh, the when the conspiracy is unveiled fully that this list of people that Vincent collateral has to kill are all like witnesses and the actual prosecuting lawyer in an upcoming case where they were all gonna snitch on I guess the guy that he works for And so when Jamie Foxx has an opportunity to just run away, he then sees that the woman he flirted with earlier and who Tom Cruise even encouraged him to, you know, pursue further Mm -hmm. uh, is the last one on the kill list. So you have this incredible set piece where he's creeping up into her building, cutting the power on her floor and everything. And, you know, you see him at her desk looking at the picture of paradise that Jamie Foxx gave her earlier. and you can see him on the roof of the parking structure below you know like yeah. the the depth of field is kind of shocking in this movie sometimes because mm-hmm. sometimes it's played super shallow and then sometimes it'll just blow you away the capability of digital especially you know the the the, the nighttime photography is just i don't know you can't say enough about how beautiful it is to see those weirdly distorted nighttime gray skies and everything all lit up seemingly naturally just like you're out there yourself
0: no yeah it's great and like it's to the point where it's like uh i mean of course like like everything you see in a movie is like a conscious decision but like the idea to make tom cruise you know have the gray hair fits so well oh, into the yeah. color scheme of the rest of the movie. Like you said, kind of like these gray skies and kind of like these, you know, I feel like when you're shooting a city nighttime, you know what I mean? The big question is like, how, what, what's the light situation? You know, a lot of lights coming from everywhere and like collateral really like revels in like the capturing of the lights and all that stuff, whether it's like muted bouquets, like kind of behind or just like, uh, something a little bit more intense like yeah playing like, off the windshield yeah, or something while you're yeah. watching a character in the car or like mm-hmm. yeah sometimes like a more grainy looking you know like you know gets l- let's the image get a little bit dirty and whatnot and like uh, yeah hey city during night it's all about the lights and like yeah man's doing a whole lot with the lights
2: and you know uh and not to say it's like when people do fake film grain with digital but the the digital distortion and the pixelation kind of resembles a new version of film grain and the darker scenes really lean into that feeling and it's uh It's so fucking great.
1: Yeah, it's a powerful texture. I feel like a lot of... uh, Some filmmakers are scared of that type of digital distortion. They want a a crisp, clean image, but I don't know, get a little dirty. Because, you know,
2: you could save the crisp, clean images and those pristine images for pristine situations. But Michael Mann makes down and dirty crime movies, you know. Uh, so the the office building, thank God, has an escape to the metro, I
0: guess. And uh, seems like a good place to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. An escape. Yeah, it's a perfect ex- escape home. Duck out from work a little early. Yeah. Boss doesn't know. The guy. I It'll got, be our little secret. Can't get
0: reception down in the subway. Or it's the true. Metro. It's
2: true. Uh, so anyway, they hop on the train, and I know Michael Mann has stated that he's a big fan of L.A., uh, uh, the train system out here, despite it not being very hot, but uh, he, he he finds the beauty in <laughs> he it. He likes and, shooting it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like writing it. He, but... <laughs> he really definitely made the most of it in this film, and I like that You know, not too many L.A. films are about taxis or trains but this movie Mm -hmm. makes a case for the legitimacy of both of those in our fair city
0: well it's like even even before it you know i guess it's a nice little screenplay wraparound but it's just like the the fact that tom cruise's anecdote of you know kind of the alienation you know of living in a city you know you know so many people around you but you're not connected with any of them you know his example being of a man riding around dead on like the orange line or whatever and uh yeah to be fair the orange line
2: wasn't built yet you no, know, that's not true. To be a, not to be an <laughs> yeah. LA metro head, but I remember the Orange Line being built. Well, All you right? know what?
0: I think it's you know, call me out on it because I think it's I think it's justified. You know, man's talking different streets here. You know, he's very geographically in tune with what he's shooting, and so yeah, that's it's I deserve to be called out for that. But I'm if, gonna call you in. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's mm-hmm. you know that's. It's all family here. We're just trying to improve ourselves. But uh, the the fact that, you know, he's got Tom Cruise is even talking about the trains or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like it's you have to think that is like a, a conscious decision, you know, Enough of this car stuff. You know?
2: <laughs> and it ends just as gracefully as anything that happens in the movie with the final shootout. You know, Cruise gets shot in the side of the face. And then again, I guess, uh, in that final uh, shootout as he takes a seat on the subway And kind of reminds you of the anecdote from earlier (laughs) As uh, Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett Smith get away And it's just like the very basic gesture of him Taking off his coat, giving it to her End of the movie, you know they're together now in some capacity Mm -hmm. And then you get another shot of the train pulling away Into, not quite the sunrise, but into the new day You know, with Cruz riding as a dead man And it's just as perfect and simple as an ending uh, or of an ending as you could possibly conjure for something like this
0: i like ending a movie like around that time like 5 30 a.m or yeah. something like that because it is like bro it's been such a night
1: yeah yeah I, it's i'm a bit... sucker for a movie that's all in one night it's one they, of those
0: last night was a movie for real type movies <laughs> 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 it's it, but it's it, like i think this like the ending kind of i don't know captures like that weird transition of like he's been working all night you know or whatever and like it is like i don't know to take like if you're doing the night shift and it ends like at six the world you could feel like everything transitioning you know kind of like the light of day coming and like you know society's about to start back up again or whatever and you're kind of like you know walking away from that it's kind of an interesting feeling and that kind of reminds me of like another i like that it's set during like the nighttime to where it's like yeah we could see like you know these streets be empty and then like towards the end like see Jamie Foxx's character like kind of like run around these streets and use like these heavily populated areas you know while they're empty
2: mm-hmm. and as the day begins anew at the end of our night here on extended clip i bid you all adieu <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know that's that's it on collateral on this jt do you have any final thoughts on it
1: um no i loved it i need to really uh hustle and hurry up and uh, get to the rest of those man movies yeah
2: scooter looks like she really is sick of us podcasting I, she fucking is yeah. digging
1: into my socks she came out here with one earlier yeah i sure. don't know what what the fuck are you doing all right we'll see you guys next week <laughs> yo homie that my briefcase